Colossians chapter 3. I just said a whole lot, so why don't you tell me a little bit? Every now and then I ask you guys to give a little bit of feedback. And I'm not so much asking for feedback on the, on the sermons or on the uh, series as much as I'm looking for what God has been doing in your hearts and in your minds as we walk through this letter to the Colossian church. You know, a lot of you have been giving me some feedback uh, when you see me here or there on what God has said to you, what, what has resonated with you as we've walked through these first three chapters, uh, things that have stuck with you through the week. And so uh, let me encourage you. Uh, this is a family church. Let me encourage you. Would you share some of that? Would you, would you give me some of that feedback? But also encourage one another by giving some testimony as to what, you're, what are you learning in Colossians? I mean, we call this series Anchored. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But what is it doing for your heart and for your soul? So, here it is. It's your time to talk. What has Colossians meant to you thus far? Anybody? Go, share. Was there any one of those things on the list of things were to put on in the new man that stuck with you? Yes. Yes. How about you? Any one of the character traits that uh, Sherry just mentioned from last week that has stuck with you through the week? Patience? I didn't intend for this turning confession time, but. Patience? Yeah, absolutely. Anybody, anybody for forgiveness? The bearing with one another? Did you notice last week that forgiveness got the, got the mass of the, of the passage? You know, he rattles off all these others. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, verse 12, and patience. And then verse 13, this one concept of forgiveness gets a whole verse. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. Whomever has a complaint against you, and he unpacks what forgiveness is. If somebody has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. So that's a, that's a big one. I think it's a reason. It gets its own verse. What else has stuck with you through Colossians? This is where everyone's staring at the floor like this. Normally everybody's staring right at me or like this. But now everyone's... I learned when I was in college, if you, uh, if you sit on the front row and you stare at the professor's shoes, they get self-conscious and they move to the other side of the room and they'll ask someone else a question. So you could try that if you like. Yes. Yeah, they can be uncomfortable, stuffy clothes at first, can't they? They don't feel like your garments sometimes. And uh, that's and if you're in the uh, the life, how many of you are in the life life group? 
the study with Bill and Annabelle, yeah, you're starting to learn some about that. That it, it doesn't always, your Christianity, your new man doesn't always feel comfortable. Why? Because you've been walking around in your old earth suit, as Bill calls it, for so long. And those garments feel good. They feel right. They feel natural. But that's not the new you. Yeah. Somebody else? Jeff? That's good. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't say that. Paul said that. So just to be clear, I did. It'd be good if I did. Yeah. Something else. Anybody dig back? Look back. Turn back if you got your Bible. Do you make any notes in Colossians 1, 2? Anybody had any chance to use some of this in real life? last couple of weeks, any of these important truths in Colossians? Anybody? Anybody? Eric Scoggins? Anybody? Did it sound like it was a he came up in, in a system of legalism? Yeah. And that's one of the Colossians two errors that we that we chase after sometimes, right? When we try and come up with our own system of appeasing God that isn't faith, it, it ends up being by works always, which in its in its worst case is a is a system of legalism. And Paul says down at the uh, end, towards the end of chapter 2 in verse 23, these matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no real value against fleshly indulgence. They really don't do us any good in our current sinful state. And uh, a lot of times what will happen for folks, and maybe some of you, you were raised in one of those churches that was a legal church that they, uh, that they literally would keep a list and uh, check it twice of your good and your bad deeds, and you felt like you were under the weight of that burden, that the yoke of Christ wasn't easy, and it, and it wasn't light, but it was heavy. If you came up in that kind of church, very often what will happen 
is when you get out of your house, when you get out of the authority of your parents, some of you going to school, some of you moving out, going into the military, some of you uh, going, uh, going out and getting your first job, very often you will stiff arm that very religion that you were raised in. Does that ever happen? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that, that's why, you know, we hear, we hear all the stereotypical stories of people's testimonies in their 30s and 40s saying, I was raised in a church and I got to college and well, <laughs> and they kind of just, you know, pause for a minute. And there was that whole parentheses of life that they, they did their own thing. And legalism is one of the reasons that happens. It's a, it's a lie of the devil that we could somehow impress God by being legal, by keeping enough rules. And that would appease the wrath of God towards our sin. That doesn't do it. It has no, has no value. Somebody else? Colossians, what does it mean to you? Anybody got any idea of how many weeks we've been in Colossians now? 642, something like that. Yeah, it's been a good while. But if you look in your, if you, if you just were to flip through your Bible, what do you got? You got about four or five pages. You got about four or five pages. I guess my point is, is there's, there's so much here just in these four or five pages. Amen? Yeah. Today's verse, I think it, I think it has value to the conversation, the questions I just asked you. See if you can figure out why. Chapter 3, verse 16. After telling us all these new man garments were to put on, heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, beyond all these things, verse 14, were to wrap it with, you remember what it was? What goes on over all of it? Love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then he goes to the inside in verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And we talked about how that word rule is the word for an arbitrator or maybe better understood as an umpire or a referee, that between us, the peace of God that is, that is secured in our own hearts plays referee among the one another of us. So the good, bad, and the ugly of us as we collide, as we rub each other the wrong way, we have that peace of God in our hearts and it is the authority, it's the referee. So that when, when Jeff runs headlong into Jody, or someone else even in the church, even outside of his home, when there's a collision among the body of Christ, whether it's in your, your own home or whether it's in this larger family, there is an authority, there is someone with a whistle that stops you from making a personal foul. Right? And the Holy Spirit there plays that role as umpire between us very often. And it's a good thing He does. But specifically, he said it's the peace of God. And it's that idea that, as Paul's told us, hey, all these things we've already been forgiven of. These are the things Christ died for. So how can we then hold them against other people? That peace that we have with God, and that the thing that brings peace, grace through faith, all that comes together and says, I, I, can't, I can't offend my brother. I've got to let some things go. So how do we, how do we put on those garments? Well, it's, it's in the end wrapped all in love, but then there's this inner heart of, I'm at peace with God. And that's amazing grace. And so now that truth umpires between us. We're all at peace with God by His grace. We're not smarter, better, more religious, more righteous than anyone else. 
I'm not varsity and you're JV or freshman league. We're all on the same level playing field at the foot of the cross. And so you see how that referees among our hearts? So that's what he said last. Heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Put on forgiveness. Beyond all these things, put on love. Wrap it all up. It's the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, by the way. And be thankful. Count your blessings, so to speak. And so, verse 16. Listen, listen to this verse. Today's passage. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And I'm going to put a period right there, although in the New American Standard, which is on your screen and what I preach out of, it's not going to give you a period there. But there's a, there's a little bit of confusion in this verse. And most scholars would believe that there are two separate ideas here. And so follow with me here a little bit. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And then you've got the next phrase, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So let me tell you what I don't think it's saying and what most scholars don't think it's saying. It's not saying that this word of Christ, which richly dwells within you, and in the context here, it would still be within our hearts because that's where we're letting the peace of God rule. And so now we're letting the word of Christ dwell, let it dwell richly. And so the the inference is that we're letting it dwell richly in our hearts, which makes sense. We're called to let the word of God be hidden in our hearts, right? So the context here is still dealing with our heart. And so what do, we, what do we do with the Word of Christ? Well, we let it teach us and admonish us. And the qualification of the teaching and the admonishing is with all wisdom. And we do that in a one another context. I'll talk about that in a moment. But then it says, we, do we do it with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness? So how do, we, how do we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom? Is the answer with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Well, that's true, yes, but it's not necessarily true from this passage. The better way to understand this is probably how New, uh, new International Version words it. So, uh, Mike, I put the New International Version in there. So, let the word of Christ dwell in, your, in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you yada, yada, yada. All right? And so the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, I'm going to deal with that next week when we talk about worship and some other items related. Okay? Where I want you to focus this week is on the first half of this verse. The word of Christ... That's the topic at hand. It's dwelling within context in our hearts. We need to let it dwell richly. What do we do with it? We teach and admonish one another, and we do it with the caveat of keeping it in all wisdom. We don't sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to teach and admonish, not at least from this passage. Does that happen when we sing? Yeah. When we sing some of the hymns of the faith or some of the new songs of our faith, they teach us and they... Uh, rebuke us sometimes, and they admonish us, they encourage us, they do all those things. But in this, in this passage, these are, these are two separate things. All right? So we're going to deal with the first one this week. So let me connect this back to the questions. My hope has been that by the time we get to this verse, Colossians has been rolling around in your heart and your mind for however many weeks we've been in the letter to the Colossians now. My hope has been that the Word of Christ via Colossians has taken up residence in your heart. That's what the word dwell means. It's the word live, house. It's not the word for rent, by the way. To dwell means that it takes up permanent residence. Now just let that soak in for a moment, because again, we're talking about the Word of God. 
the words of Christ, the teaching of Christ and his gospel message, all tied together, all wrapped up in one. Where is it supposed to be? It is to abide, live, take up residence, tabernacle, if you will, in, in your heart. Now, when you own something, when, it, when you live in a home that you own, what can you do with that home? Anything you want, right? Even if you're under the illusion that you own it, but the bank really owns it, they let you believe that you own it for a number of years, right? There's a difference between owning something and renting something. When you rent something, there's just so much you can do to that place that you rent, right? If you're renting somewhere, you can go in and you could probably paint and you could probably change maybe some fixtures. You could change the carpet maybe if it helps bring up the value of the home for the, for the real owner. But there's a limited number of things that you could actually do to that residence if you're renting because you're just temporary. It doesn't belong to you. But if you own the home, or if you have the illusion that you own your home, you can do whatever you want. You can take out walls. You can not just repaint, but you can, you can renovate. Right? When Paul says that the, the word of Christ is to richly dwell in you, he's saying that it's not just, it's not just to visit randomly. It's not just to visit and, and rent a spot for a little while. It is to take up full residence in your heart. It's to abide. It's to take ownership. The Word of God's intent in our hearts is to renovate. Not just to rent a space. So the question is, has Colossians been doing that for you? I hope so. I hope hope the Word of God through the letter of Paul to the Colossians has been renovating some corners of your heart, the home that is your heart. I hope he's not just been painting a facade over dirt. I hope it's been cleaning house. I hope it's been taking out trash. I hope it's been knocking down walls, strongholds, lies, maybe that were set up by its former owner, the devil. So we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, but we let the word of God dwell in our hearts. How do we let it dwell? He adds a word. We let it dwell richly. So it takes up permanent residence. It wants to renovate. And we let it do in a rich way its job. It's the word for lavish. It's the word for pouring out riches to overwhelming proportion. The word of God is not just to, not just to be tucked in the closet of the corner of your heart. It is to dwell richly. It means it's to, it's to reach into every hidden space. It's to go to the attic and it's to go to the basement. It's to clean the house completely. So the the question for us is, are we allowing the Word of God to do that? Have you been allowing Colossians to do that? Has it really made any difference to you at all? Or do we just give a hearty amen and we read the verse like this and we say, now let's get on to the next one. Are we allowing the Word of God to dwell in us, to take up permanent residence and to do its job of renovation in our hearts, in every area of our heart. Not just, not just the areas that we want to allow it. Uh, how many of us have doors shut? How many of us have rooms that are closed off that we do not allow the Lord into? Rooms in our heart and in our mind that we say, God, you, you can go this far, but, but you, can't, you can't have this room. You can have this part of my life, but you can't have this part of my life. And so the hard question for you today is, is simply to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, are you finding any locked doors in my heart? 
And maybe, maybe there are. Let me be clear. Maybe there are some doors that are shut. Maybe there are some rooms that have been blocked off because of, because of sin. Right? Maybe. I mean, that's probably the inference as you're hearing me say this. Maybe you're saying, well, is Pastor, is pastor uh, inferring that I've got sin in my life and I keep it hidden over here so that nobody else sees it and, and that's the door that I don't want the Holy Spirit to open? It may be. It may be. But let me be even a little, a little more gentle and a little more sensitive a little more realistic even. It may be that there's great pain that has been caused in your past or in your life, even in your own home, in some of your most intimate relationships, that you have blocked, that you have boarded up. And you're not allowing God to permeate and penetrate into that area of your heart or your mind. And maybe there's issues going on in your life right now that, that, that you do not believe that the, the Word of God could make any impact. That the Word of God is this thing that is, that is uh, spiritual and, and holy, but otherworldly. And it's something for Sunday that we talk about, and it's, it's almost like if you were to be truthful, this fairy tale that's, that's in your mind, but it's, it's not about the, the Monday or the Tuesday difference making. Every now and then I uh, uh, preached uh, a message on the Word of God, and I'll use an illustration, and I'll bring in different Bibles that I have, and this is one of the... Bibles that I would typically bring in for, for that sermon on the Word of God. And what I do is I bring in several different Bibles. And one Bible is a, is a, is a small, thin-lined Bible that I got when I was in high school. It's a nice, real leather, tan Bible. And I got that Bible because it matched my shoes, if I'm honest. And I had a belt that it matched as well. And so I thought, that's cool. I'll get that one. Um, Another Bible that I bring in is a Bible that many of you have. It's, a, it's the big white wedding Bible that you get from somebody in your family, right? If you've been married for more than 10 years, you've probably got one of these Bibles that some, somebody, a great somebody on one side of your family or another, gave you one of these big white giant Bibles with the gold foil around the outside. It's maybe even got the plastic clear thing over it. It, it sits on your coffee table in the room nobody goes in, uh, near the couch nobody sits on. That kind of Bible, right? Um, and then I, I bring in uh, this Bible, which I talk about being uh, published in, what was it, 18, 18, eight, yeah. Uh, it's old and it's ancient and it's, it's, it's like a relic. It's a beautiful Bible. And the point I make is that we have in our mind these ideas towards the Word of God very often that aren't the, that aren't the perspective that God would have us have to the Word of God. For some of us, our Bible is like that, is like that leather Bible I had that, that matched my shoes and my belt. It's just, this, it's, just a Sunday, it's just a Sunday accessory. And when you head back out to the car, it goes in the floorboard behind the seat. And then you search for it on Sunday morning frantically so that you can have it when you come back in. It's just a Sunday morning accessory. It's what you do. Some of us have a perspective of the Bible, that our uh, Bible is its kind of like Frodo's ring. It's this lucky charm. We keep it on the coffee table in the room nobody goes in, and we've never cracked it. If we did, it would, it would barely open. It wouldn't even stay open. It would just spring load shut again because we never go to it, but we keep it. It's, it, it's that lucky charm, and that's our perspective towards the Bible sometimes. And sometimes we have the, the relic perspective towards the Bible. It's, it's an ancient, holy, and righteous book, but it has no real relevance for today. It's old-fashioned. It's antiquated. But the very simple and, and very profound 
perspective that Paul would have us have towards the Word of God is that it is to take up residence in our heart and in our mind and it is to renovate. It's to do work. One of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 32, 47. These words, Moses says to the nation of Israel, these words that I share with you, and, and what Moses, I think, knew was that these were divine words. They weren't just his words. They were words that were coming from God. These words, they're not to be just idle words. They are your very life. They're not to be unemployed words, is another good translation. They're not to be words that just stay in neutral And even if you hit the gas, it makes loud noise and it does a whole lot uh, of impressive stuff, but you never put it into gear so that you move on it. Moses says, these are not idle words. These words are your very life. That's the perspective we should have towards the Word of God. The Word of God, the words of Christ, are to dwell in us richly. They're to permeate our hearts and minds and they're to go into all areas, even the dark areas. Even the dark areas. Now let me encourage you, I don't mean this to be a discouraging message, what I mean it to be is an encouraging message because even in some of the darkest times, we need to be reminded of the truth, even if it doesn't seem like the truth, based on our current circumstances. All right? And let me just confess to you that, that I'm speaking even from, from recent experience, even when it doesn't even when it doesn't seem like reality, the Word of God is truth, and it's God's Word revealed to us, and it says that it gives us everything we need for godly living and righteousness. That in here, we have all that we need for life. And sometimes, in the darkest of our days, we, we don't feel like this really has anything for us. It feels, feels antiquated. It feels old-fashioned. It feels like it's the last place we need to go, but... Hold on. Hold on to that truth. Go back to your Bible. One more point from this verse. Let the Word of God, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. What what is this Word of God that we're allowing to take residence in us? What's its job? It's to teach and admonish. And so we use it for, for teaching, correcting, informing. Okay? It's to be truth. It's to be black and white in a gray world. It teaches us. It gives us truth, divine truth. And it doesn't just give us facts that we collect. It will go beyond that. It will, he'll say, admonish us. That means encourage us to change our course if need be. And so the... The intent of its taking up residence in us, in a word, would be to renovate, to transform. Using the truth, it changes us. It's our guidebook. Look what else it says, though. There's a couple caveats here. We are to teach and admonish with all wisdom. Why does it say all wisdom? I think it says all wisdom because of the phrase at the end there that says, we do this in a context of one another. Anytime we are told to do something in a context of one another, I think it's a good idea that we use wisdom. Because very often when we try and teach, and especially when we try and admonish, or we go even a step further and attempt to rebuke one another, with the Word of God specifically, we can easily offend our neighbor, can't we? Even our spouse, we can easily offend. I mean, there is no no more... uh, 
dangerous ground than when you try and use the Word of God against your spouse. Amen? Yeah? I mean, you could get punched right in the face when you start quoting Scripture to your spouse. You better use all wisdom. You better use all wisdom. Is that an important caveat? I think so. I think so. Because some of us like to wield truth like a club. And some of us like to wield truth like that scalpel we talked about several weeks ago. And some of us go around with, with apparent truth clubbing one another. And there's no wisdom in that, even if it's true. And some of us go around just nitpicking, cutting each other. And there is no wisdom in that, even if it's true. Do you use the Word of God that dwells in you richly? And my, my assumption is, is that if it's dwelling in you, not just in a factual way, but if it's dwelling in you richly, in a way that it is permeating, in a way that it is having its own way in your heart and your mind, I imagine that wisdom comes along with that. I don't think you could have the dwelling richly without the wisdom, frankly. Now, you can collect a whole lot of biblical information, and you can go around whacking people with it. But if you allow the words of Christ to dwell in you richly, I think wisdom comes along with that. Now, let me point out one other thing. We're to use all wisdom because it's in a context here that he says it's in a one another context, and we understand what that means. But let me point something out to you, maybe that, that is not so uh, apparent, but it's very encouraging to me. What this passage does not say is that the pastor is to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in him richly, teaching and admonishing all of you. What Paul does say is to all of us, remember the context, we're to allow the peace of God to dwell richly in our hearts so that we have all those garments that he said previously, the patience, the forgiveness, the bearing with one another, all those things that we're to put on, that love that brings a bond of what? Unity, to have unity, you've got to have more than one participant. And so we're in a context of multiple players going on here, right? And so now he says, also, let, let the words of Christ dwell in you, you, who? You, plural, richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So whose job is this? Is it my job? Well, of course, it's, it's in part my job. And I have a unique part of teaching and admonishing in the body of Christ. But don't leave here missing the fact that you are being called to an account in this half of a verse. If the Word of God does not dwell in you richly, then you have no capability of teaching and admonishing one another. You certainly won't be able to even do it near with wisdom. But you will not be able to participate in the one another. What you're being called to do is a one-another task. It's a, it's a team effort. And so as we live out this, this cornerstone Christian family life business, the peace of God has to rule. It's got to be the umpire. If we're going to put on these garments, there better be love covering all of them, binding them all together. And if they don't fit quite right, grow into them. Beyond that, if you go even deeper, you better make sure that there's, there's a peace that comes from God, that is of God, that is permeating your heart, that is ruling among you. You better let that happen. And, and as, you, as you learn your Bible, you have to understand that with all wisdom, mind you, there is to be teaching and admonishing going on between you. Forget me. Between you. 
as you act out Christianity in a one another community. Spurgeon said that there may be enough dust on your Bible to his congregation he said this. There may be enough dust on your Bible with your finger to write damnation. I hope that's not true, he says. The inference is that all too often it is true. How can the Word of God richly dwell in our hearts if we never crack the Word of God open? Another pastor came along and said, there's enough dust on many of our Bibles that if we were to dust them all at once, it would blot out the sun. All that. And again, let me, let me say that my point this morning is not to discourage you. It's not for you to walk out here and say, no, I never read my Bible enough. Doggone it. Stepped on my toes on this one. That, that, that's not the point. What I really want you to know is that when you allow the Word of God to richly dwell in your hearts, God is able to do what He's always wanted to do. Renovate. A renovation that includes a healing a helping, an encouraging. I think it's interesting here that Paul didn't put teaching, admonishing, and rebuking and some of the other more harsh words. He just said, why don't you stick to teaching and admonishing. Admonishing is, it's a, it's a correcting, but it's an encouraging sense of correcting. I think there's some wisdom in that. But I want you to know that, that the encouragement to be in your word, it's not out of guilt. It's not because... Christians are to be in their Bibles daily, having quiet times, reading. It's nothing about that. It's all about the fact that where else can we go for help? Can we go to empty religions? Can we go to our own philosophies? Can we go to religion, legalism, super spirituality? Can, do any of those things have any worth? No, he's already told us they don't have any worth. You know why we call this series Anchored? It's because it gives us an anchor of the soul. This, this whole letter in its entirety focused on the simplicity of the gospel and focused on Jesus Christ, namely, gives us an anchor to our soul. What are we to be doing in our Christianity? We're to allow the peace of God to dwell in our hearts. While you're at it, let His Word inform you, teach you, admonish you. I don't know about you, but um, on the darkest of days, and in the loneliest of moments, Moments that you don't tell anyone else about. Moments that um, you don't maybe even express to your spouse. Moments when you doubt everything. Moments when you fear much. Moments when you care very little. We've got to remember that the Word of God, hidden in our hearts, is the greatest resource we have in this life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. And the truth is, it doesn't always seem... It doesn't always seem in this life that it will it'll fix anything. Lord, teach us to allow the Word of God in us so that it, it can take effect among us. So we will hide it in our heart and we will wait for it to flower on a day when we need it most. In our darkest of moments, Father, use the words that we've learned, bring them to life. 
Allow them not just to be idle words, but our very life. We need it, Lord. We need it. And we need it to be alive.